This is Hitting the Mark. Conversations with founders about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success. With your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Geierhalter. What what images? What feelings does it help you conjure? Like where where does it transport you to? Um, you know what is what is that sensation in your body that you feel when you think about a business um, or or a company? Um, and how do we as as brands um, really create that experience for the customer um, that it's it, it is so much bigger than the physical product? This was Ariel Kay who founded Parachute in 2014 to disrupt the betting space by creating a brand people actually remembered and loved. And that is exactly what Parachute has very quickly turned into, a beloved home lifestyle brand with 20-plus retail locations. On this episode, we talk about how Ariel's brand and advertising background was fundamental to her ability to quickly connect with customers, the power of storytelling, and the lasting emotion that a brand experience can have on an audience. Welcome to the show, Ariel. Thanks for having me. Well, let's let's start at the very, very beginning, um, because you actually come from branding and advertising. Um, you so pretty similar things to to, to what I do and uh, what a lot of my listeners are up to. Um, you were also a big interior design enthusiast. And then you realized that there was no affordable, high quality betting brand uh, that people actually loved or remembered when when you asked them what what they actually uh, bought so coming from your brand background you set out to create that exact brand that you felt was missing in the market space so that was the vision but i assume you knew most probably very little about linen production or creating a product from scratch or fulfillment or all of that stuff. How were those first months of that of that like research and jumping in journey like? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. So I, I did have experience building brands, um, you know, creating deep relationships between brand and customer and really thinking about how to connect brands to customers in a meaningful way. And um, but I had no experience in manufacturing at all. Um, I had never worked in retail. Um, I did not know how products were made. Um, I did not know how to import them. I did not know how to ship them. Um, <laughs> I really was in over my head in every possible way um, as far as operations and logistics and um, and all of that go. So um, I, I was learning on the go. I mean, I, I really, I got the deepest dive into how these things are done by having to get them done. Um, and so um, that meant for me a lot of, Googling a lot of internet searches, <laughs> trying to figure out um, how these things move from point A to point B and how to do that efficiently and, you know, making sure that everything was was um, working. Um, and then also, you know, really reaching out to my community. And that was something that very early on in this journey um, that I realized um, was just that there were so many people um, who are willing to share their time and their knowledge and um, and be really generous um, in that regard. And so I, I 
quickly got out of my comfort zone and started asking for help um, and asking to connect with people that, um, you know, had had expertise in, in these parts of the business. So um, that was very helpful, but there was a lot of trial by error. Um, you know, certainly we do things much differently than we did in the early days today. Um, so, you know, always kind of learning and operationalizing and, and, and trying to evolve. Um, the business. Yeah. And I mean, you said something super interesting and, 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 and a lot of founders learn this uh, very quickly that uh, it is unbelievable how giving the entrepreneurial community is because everyone has been there. Everyone has been at that first step of like, I don't even know where to start. And uh, and, and and I realized that I I, I started a, a, a product uh, startup in the last couple of months. And <laughs> I mean, it is just absolutely craziness. And and so for me, even though I've been in the business world and the brand world for, for so long, and I talked to founders about how they launched their brands, um, being able to reach out and just say, look, I don't know what I'm doing in this part. It, it is unbelievable how helpful uh, this community is because everyone's been there. So I learned it myself too. And it's it's wonderful really to see that support pour in right and left. Um, but but how did you find your initial partners? I mean, you were, you were completely new to the industry, I assume, and most probably you didn't have too many friends that are right in the linen distribution <laughs> you know, yeah. world. But what was it in Portugal or in Italy? Or, or yeah, even stateside? So, How did that work? Yeah, so I started the business, um, you know, knowing that we were going to be really grounded around quality and wanted to have this quality value proposition that was as premium as the most um, luxurious uh, linens on the market. And so in my research and in my, you know, kind of basic understanding of the category, um, I kept bring, coming back to Italy. I kept coming back to Italy as a place where these premium, premium brands were manufacturing. Um, and so I decided that I definitely want to manufacture in Europe. Um, and the first thing that I did when I decided I was really going to give this a shot um, was go to Europe and visit about 15 factories throughout Portugal and Italy. And so I, again, you know, found many of these factories on various searches, um, <laughs> but also reached out to networks of people, was introduced to someone whose family had a business based in France that had textiles, and they were able to introduce me to some factories. And so, um, you know, it was it was sort of all kind of a whirlwind. Um, but I, I ended up in Europe. I ended up with these meetings and, um, you know, showed up with a suitcase full of textiles that I liked and I didn't like to kind of show the difference um, and said, I want to do this, but I want to do it differently. Or, you know, this hmm. is the kind of aesthetic that I'm looking for. And um, this is what I don't want. And, um, and, you know, that's how the conversation started. And by the end of that trip, I had really zeroed in on a factory in Italy, and that's where we got started. Um, but today, we are actually working with many of the factories I visited hmm. on that initial trip um, throughout Portugal as well. So, um, sure, you know, many of those meetings ended up becoming very fruitful. Um, but I think everyone on in Europe thought I was a little bit um, crazy. <laughs> yeah, here comes the crazy <laughs> American <laughs> woman with her yeah. suitcase full of samples yeah, and exactly. like exactly, <laughs> like Mary Poppins full of you know textiles, and they were like, "Are you sure you want to do this?" It's like, what do you? Um, mean by limited run yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's uh, hilarious but not a, not a bad way to start you know you 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 basically do a lot of d2c shopping you go on a trip to italy i mean it could have been worse yeah right? no it could have been worse i mean i think <laughs> but i do tell people you know i think especially if you're manufacturing products like seeing how products are made is so inspiring yeah. and it also is really um illuminating in terms of you know just 
how long these processes take, you know, what's happening on that other side. And I think, you know, so many people buy finished goods and, you know, we do buy finished goods too. Um, but to be able to see that, you know, from, from the fibers to those finished goods and what that looks like and, um, and then being able to communicate that to the customer is so, is so important. And so I encourage everyone to, anytime you can go visit a factory, I think it's always a, a good move. It's just absolutely so cool. well, and it's it, well. That's a, you. You said it right. It's just so cool to be in there and to actually witness that and to see something being created and 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 what goes into it and the details. And I mean, that's also brand storytelling. And we'll we'll talk a lot about that um, a, a little bit later. But so so this was in 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 about twenty twenty fourteen, right? Well, uh, it was twenty thirteen, um, and then we launched in twenty fourteen. And by now, you're, you, I mean, you you turn into a beloved home lifestyle brand. Uh, and, and you have, on my last count this morning on your website, you've got 25 brick and mortar shops. Is that correct? Um, I think. Do you close, count? Yeah. I think, <laughs> so we have a few opening this month. Um, they might be on the site already. Um, I think we, we have somewhere between 21 and 22 open, but we'll have 25. Amazing. By the end of this month, so you're not wrong. And um, beautiful locations too. I mean, looking looking at the pictures and looking at uh, at, at 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 the actual um, you know regions where where you open. And and I mean, look, I mean, we all knew retail was proclaimed dead, right? Then came the pandemic, and at that point, it was basically double dead, right? It was like this is like a this is like the the retail uh, you know like the the physical retail um, shop idea was a long gone era, and then. Suddenly, um, everyone and and some of us knew that, right? But but everyone suddenly realized that in-person shopping was actually an experience that they really liked, and some of them even missed it. And so, how was that journey for you? Like, when and why did you decide to to take your D two C brand that was doing perfectly well doing D two C into physical retail? Yeah, I mean, so for me, when I was getting started, um, something that I learned very early on and that really stuck with me was that 90% of purchases were made offline in this category. So 10 years ago, and this is part of the whole branding conversation too, um, everyone was buying these products in stores. There weren't any brands that you were buying online. Um, there weren't really any brands you were connecting to. It was really just about the retail experience. And so I knew that there was a huge subset of customers who were going to take much longer to feel comfortable to buying these products online. Um, they just weren't familiar with that experience. They wanted to touch and feel. They wanted to see the product in real life. And so while I decided to start D2C because I was so inspired by the D2C shift and also by the opportunity that brands have to reach so many people online, I knew that it was going to be critical for our success to have a physical um a physical place for people to come and experience the brand. Um, you know, I didn't know at that time how many stores that would be, or, you know, would we go across the country? I mean, it was definitely like, we're, we're giving this a shot and we'll see how it goes. Um, but the idea was always to have our stores be really focused on the relationship about building the brand, about connecting with the customer, educating, inspiring, really bringing the brand to life, um, giving people the opportunity to touch and feel, to see the breadth and the depth of our assortment. Um, and then, you know, if the transaction happened, that's kind of icing on the cake. Um, but what we did see early on is that people were very excited to shop offline. Um, and we also saw this immediate lift 
online in the markets where we were opening stores. Um, we just saw this huge halo effect across all of the unit economics in the business. Um, and we saw our stores being profitable. So it was just like check, 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 check all the way down the list. Um, and we realized that this was really important to the customer. Um, you know, in the past few years and, and during the pandemic, we did have to close our stores for a period of time. But what we heard when we reopened them, you know, even though we had seen our business online um, really accelerate, we saw and heard from customers in store that they were still waiting to shop in person. Hmm. That, they, that was just the way that they wanted Amazing. to shop. Um, yeah. And so, you know, for us, um, you know, we've seen our brand awareness increase tremendously since we've um, really accelerated our store count. Um, and we we really believe that um, that the omni channel, you know, experience for the customer is, is the way of the future. And, you know, I don't think retail's dead. I don't think it, you know, is ever going to be dead. But I think, you know, what we do and I think what is different as far as the home category goes is our stores are small. Um, they're very intimate. Um, you know, they're they're like 1,500 to 2,500 square feet. And so they're, they're a different experience than some of the, you know, bigger box players in the space. And I think people are gravitating towards more intimate retail settings. Um, and I, I don't think that that kind of boutique shopping experience will ever go away. I absolutely agree. And it's, it's, I mean, it's experience. That's, that's the word, right? And, and you set your shops up so that it is a brand experience, even if people might not buy, they buy afterwards or they get to know the brand, they talk about the brand and it's that omni-channel um, experience. That's, that's just really so important. And, and I, I, I think it's, I think it's absolutely um, interesting how some D2C brands completely fall flat when they try that. And some D2C brands, it really comes to life. And with you, you know, with, with it being a product where it is, about feeling the quality and actually seeing it in a space um, that goes right that goes right into into the storytelling um, arena which which is really your background at, at, digit, at digitus right like connecting connecting uh, people with with the stories that brands tell but now you are or you were suddenly in in, in that in that driver's seat where you were telling these brand stories um, and, and how far can you take that idea of of comfort, which is really at the at, at the heart of it, right? Like, how do you keep coming up with new ways of telling your brand's stories? How how do you go about it? Uh, I'm 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 intrigued how to tell brand stories on an ongoing basis for for the same brand with kind of like the same DNA. Yeah, I mean, I think so. It's a good question. And, you know, brands do have to keep um, evolving. You know, one of the things that I've always said from the beginning is that I want to build a brand that grows with the customer. I don't want to be a brand that we grow out of. Um, and and a lot of brands do you customers do grow out of them. You know, they 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 work for a season, they work for a period of time, but and then you kind of move on to something else. And so for us, it's been really important that we grow with our customer um, and that um, to me means having a very clear point of view. So we've got this extremely clear point of view. Everything that we do comes back to this idea of quality and comfort. That is that is who we are as a brand through and through. However, um, we do need to keep things fresh. We do need to keep telling our story in new ways. And we do need to do that um, in a way that becomes, that both attracts new customers and also keeps our existing customers engaged and wanting to come back. Mm -hmm. And so I think... Um, for us, it's been about how do we maintain this through line so that um, it's still um, familiar and consistent and um, we can continue to establish trust with our customers that they know what to expect from us and they know who we are and they know that we're not going to waver from that 
you know, part of our DNA, but um, how do we continue to tell a story in a way that's new and exciting? And so we do that in many different ways. We do that through our products. Um, you know, as we introduce new categories and new products, we're able to tell new stories. Um, you know, we generally speaking have a thematic um, kind of undertone that's not necessarily obvious to the customer, but I think it just keeps keeps that narrative feeling cohesive when you're seeing the brand messaging across different channels. Um, and so, you know, we, that's more of a behind the scenes, but it, it really manifests itself beautifully in a consumer facing way. Um, but really, you know, I think, I think actually having this consistency allows us to tell many different stories um, mm -hmm. and, and in a way that's really effective. Yeah, it's like if you have if you have that north star, you you have you have a guiding place, right? Like you know where to yeah. go, and it actually it's weirdly enough it, it that restriction gives you focus and, and and clarity, and then you can actually keep going into into all kind of sub directions versus if you don't have that, which which makes me wonder, given your background, when you when you started this 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 company and it was just you, and then maybe at some point it was you plus one, and then plus two and plus three at what point did you did you kind of like for, 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 formalize that like when did you actually put it down and say here is our quote-unquote brand book and may it be just one page <laughs> right like but here is here is how we need to behave um did you did you feel like you did this earlier than than some other founders would have done it based on your background that was part of, yes, I, I do. I mean, I, maybe, maybe not. I mean, I we did it very early. I mean, part <laughs> yeah. of, you know, our initial, you know, my initial deck that I showed investors and I started showing um, people, you know, as I was conceptualizing the, the business um, in 2013. I mean, that was that was part of that story. Um, so, yes, I, I think we did that fairly early. Um, you know, I, because of my background, I was really focused on content and really focused on on the narrative and on storytelling and bringing the brand to life in a really emotional way um from day one um because that's what i do and that's what i have <laughs> doing and so um you know i don't have a business background i don't have a finance background i didn't go to business school but i i have this creative background um and brand building background um which is a little bit more unconventional i think for most ceos and founders or at least historically was um but i think it really paid off in a, in a very clear way um because we were so focused on building the relationship with the customer for day one and also so focused on having that point of view so um you know that you know, my first hire when I started hiring after launching the business um, was someone that was you know really great at finance and um, and could really help out on the operational part of the business, and so I could keep focusing on the brand building. Um, and you know, we've since now have a, have a really strong team across both sides of the business, but. Um, you know, that was definitely something that I believed in early on and wanted to invest in and wanted to make sure that we were really prioritizing um, because I knew that it would have an impact on the customer long term. And it's interesting when you when you start going into um, actually running the business, right? When when it's about numbers and when it's about data and when it's about A/B testing, very often that is that is kind of like the the, the enemy of a creative. <laughs> Where it's like, yeah. oh God, we have to like move into this direction just because you know that's what that's what the the, the customer data shows us. But did you bring in some of that? Um, 
rebellious creative. I, I know you came from the strategy side on the creative, right? Which is already closer to data. But but did you ever go against, you know, some of the early data and, and you just did a gutsy move and said, you know what, this is my instinct. I want to go here. I know all the data says this, but let's move this direction. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, because of my background in in like qualitative and quantitative research, um, I think there's a part of me that knows you have to trust your gut, um, that, you know, the data can can show, you know, some but not the whole picture um, and that it's important to always give yourself and your team members um, the authority and the autonomy to say, you know, this is what I'm seeing, but I, I really believe that this is the right decision for the brand. Um, those things need to play off each other. You know, you can't yeah. just like only trust the data. You can't only trust the anecdotal evidence or you can't only trust like your intuition. However, there are moments where you have to wait which one is more important based on, on you know, on the circumstance or, you know, and I think um, I think we're, we do a pretty good job at, at trusting our gut and being um, being open to um, to pushing back on the numbers. Um, <laughs> so, but, you know, I mean, I think you know, we, we, we look at data in every part of the business. I mean, that's been a huge part of our, um, our business and our investments from the beginning was how do we build a really, um, incredible data practice. You know, we've got a data team that is as large as our product design team. So, you wow. know, well, well, and you have to, as a D2C brand, right? It's, it's kind yeah, of implied, exactly. but, but it is such a, it is such a dance that you continuously dance if you do it well of like like you said it's like it's a push and pull right at all times which which yeah, i think is and there's, fascinating there's also times that i've fully gone against my intuition and trusted the data and like sometimes it plays off and sometimes it doesn't you know yeah. and we're also at a place now where um you know there's products that we introduce you know that i love less <laughs> than other products you know <laughs> but i but i have to look at this audience and say you know we're we're past the point where I'm, we're only designing for my personal aesthetic yeah exactly you know? exactly which yeah. Um, you know, I think it's a it's an important it's important to trust yourself, um, you know, especially as the founder and you want your your team to trust themselves too. And so I think um some of that has to be leading by example because you don't want people on your team who are, you know, feel so um just feel so attached to the numbers or feel so um, you know, they feel like they can't, you know, look beyond um what the numbers are telling them. So Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, when you look when you look back, um, and and here here you were hustling and 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 starting to put your products out. Um, how how was that launch? Like, what was after the launch? Like, when was that big big breakthrough moment where you felt like you know what, my little startup is actually starting to look, act, and show numbers like a brand, like we're turning into a brand. Like, did you have that one moment? May it have been a big investment round or may it have been, you know, pre-launch or launch and you suddenly saw, you know, the excitement with consumers or what was that moment where you felt like, hey, this is it. You know what? This is this is yeah. turning into a brand. So I feel like that moment happened quite a few times um, <laughs> over the first few years, to be honest. So like, you know, for me, I'll never forget the first day of looking at orders um, come in after we had launched. And, and we had a pretty amazing launch. You know, we got this incredible press um, during our launch and, and we just saw sales really take off from like an order a day or two orders a day to 30 orders a day and 50 orders. I mean, it happened very quickly. Amazing. Um, but what I saw, the, the first time that I looked at the order list and, um, you know, I was 
for a while, you know, printing out all the orders every night, going to the, my storage unit where all the inventory was first thing <laughs> in the morning, packing boxes, you know, getting them shipped off and, and really doing everything. Um, but I'll never forget the first time that I looked at the order list and I didn't know anyone <laughs> on the list. Um, yeah. Oh, totally. You know, <laughs> the beginning, it's like a friend of a friend. Or oh, totally. Like, where these people were connected to you from or how they discovered. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait, I don't know anyone that lives in this state. That is like, so funny. That literally uh, happened to me uh, two days ago, Ariel, where I look at my, 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 we're doing a Kickstarter right now. Right. And I, I look at this one person and I'm like, huh, like where did he come from? And then I yeah. tried to like research it and I'm like, I don't know where he comes from. And I'm like, this is success. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that definitely was like a big moment for me where I was like, wait a second, this is, this is these are not my friends anymore. Like, I'm not paying these people to buy products, you know, like, I'm not like offering them a full refund, no matter what, you know, so um, there was that. And then um, I would say we had some like break events, which were like press moments for us, where all of a sudden, it was just, you know, like traffic and orders and we were we sold out of everything in like, you know, minutes or and things like that. Yeah. That also were like, wait, I mean, and I think maybe that was more of like, Hey, this is really product market fit. Like people really want this. And when they discover us, they are thrilled and they are ready to shop and they yeah. are trusting us, um, you know, to, to purchase. And that's incredible. And then I would say, yeah, you know, after receiving our, like our bigger, our last round of funding, um, in 2018, um, you know, that was a that was a really validating moment where all of a sudden we had enough cash in the bank that we could like really build. And we weren't just kind of um, we weren't just we we had enough capital to to really do exciting things and be opportunistic and, and yeah. really build the team. And um, yeah, that was a really do it do it the right way or the way that you know you could (laughs) yeah exactly i mean we had raised kind of these very small rounds um which i don't necessarily recommend um which gave us enough to kind of like inch forward um and so um yeah getting that kind of bigger runway was was a really thrilling moment yeah well and now um you know I, i mean it's just unbelievable um you know following following your brand on instagram and then seeing how many of my followers follow your brand and i'm like whoa <laughs> it's like i mean it's just you you're you're by now in a certain for for a certain audience um demographics psychographics you are you are a household brand. Um, I mean, every, you know, every, everyone knows you, um, and and you built this in a in a, in a very short period of time in what what one could have considered coming from the Macy's um, department stores of the world, a, a pretty unsexy kind of category, um, and you really flipped flip that around. So having built this and coming from your brand and advertising background, um, what what does branding mean to you? It's such a it's such a it's such a sad, sad little misunderstood word, <laughs> and, and yeah. people always think about it in so many different ways. But was it? What does it mean to you? Yeah, I love that question because I think you're right. It does mean many different things. I think for me, you know, it's um, it's always been more emotional. Um, you know, how does a brand like branding um, and and a brand? How does it make you feel? Um, you know, what is it, what, what images, what feelings does it help you conjure? Like where, where does it transport you to, um, you know, what is, 
what is that sensation in your body that you feel when you hmm. think about a business um, or, or a company? Um, and how do we, as, as brands, um, really create that experience for the customer um, that it's, it, it is so much bigger than the physical product. And, um, you know, it's funny, I, when I was working in advertising, I, um, when I joined this big agency, I was working on the American Express account. And I was so excited because in my mind, American Express was like these events and they sponsor all these cool things. It was, and yeah, then I yeah. then was like, wait a second, I'm, I'm working on a financial services, like credit card. <laughs> like, this is like when I actually started doing the work and, you know, I was able to work on some of the cool experiences and, and things as well. But, um, you know, my first project was working on a, a credit card, you know, and a new value proposition for a card, you know, mm -hmm. it was a very, it was very different than what the idea of American Express means to me as a, as a consumer and as a person. Um, and and I, yeah. And I was like, wow, that's so incredible. And so um, I think for me um, that, that experience personally, you know, from 15 plus, I don't even know uh, many years ago. <laughs> um, I, I, I think, I think branding can manifest itself in the physical brand, you know, and the logo and these like things that are identifiable. Um, but when you see that logo or when people talk about the brand or you are reminded of the products or you, you know, use the products, like what experience are you having? Um, that's branding to me. And that's, that's the power of building a brand. And um, I think that's what, like, if you can nail that, if you can create that world and that experience for the customer, I mean, you can build a brand that will be around for forever. I mean, that's, that's what multi-generational brands do for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 and I mean, as part of that is everything from, from omni-channel approach to, 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 to being part of the customer journey and, and, and letting the, letting the customer co-create the journey, right? Like, like suddenly you're selling furniture as parachute, right? Like you're, you're going outside of, outside of where, where you maybe thought you would be going because it just makes sense. It's part of that comfort. It's part of your home. It's part of, um, part of all of that. What, what is, what is some advice or, or one piece of advice, um, uh, if I may put you on the spot for, for other founders who are maybe, you know, may, maybe, maybe not in, in, in a similar industry or maybe they're not, um, not you know, they, they come from more of a left brain than a right brain. And like, do you have any brand advice for founders where you say, look, he, here's one thing that you should definitely be doing as a founder early on? Um, I mean, I think you just, you have to connect with the customer. Um, I mean, that relationship, I think, is just so not to be overlooked. And I think, um in the startup world, and I think this is changing. I'm, I'm thrilled this is changing, but there's there's always been, or historically, there was this push to just grow, 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 build, build, build. Mm -hmm. You know, like line to the right. You know, at all costs, and um, that was never our approach. And I think the businesses that thrive also don't take that approach. You know, because if you do that, you miss the mark on the customer journey and the customer experience and the customer relationship. And, and the customer is what's going to make you successful, you know? <laughs> and so um, I think just like really making sure that you are always, that everything that you do is in service of the customer. Um, that's what's going to build the, the lasting relationships. That's going to keep people coming back. That's what's going to drive um, the health of the business long-term. So, um, that would be my advice is just be customer focused and obsessed and customer centric. I think, 
you know, everyone says, or so many people say they're building a customer first business. And like that, that has to be more than a buzzword, you know, yeah. like that has to be, that has to be real practice. Otherwise you're going to miss opportunities and, um, customers are just, they're so aware and they're so discerning and they really have, um, you know, they have options. There's so many brands out there now. There's so many companies, there's so many places to spend their money. And so I think you have to really, um, yeah, you have to, you have to really, really go hard on the customer journey and the customer. Yeah. Yeah. And, And have clarity around who it is too, right? Because, because very often founders have this ideal customer in mind who ends up being totally different. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, in real life, right? Um, and, and it's like this founder vision, you know, that tunnel that they just keep going in. Um, and and I always tell I always tell founders, it's like, look, it's it's not feature, feature, feature. It's brand, 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 because that's what they're going to see first, right? It's like they, yeah. they, they're going to be greeted by that. And and if you if you're able to build a strong a strong brand early on, not even a strong product. I mean, yeah, you got to have a great product. I mean, obviously, but but building a strong brand, it's an insurance layer. I mean, you can, you have so much more leverage to screw things up, which you will because you're a founder in a new business and things happen, right? And people will still love you because of what you stand for and how you feel. And and like you said, American Express, oh, it's fun. It's VIP event. It's like, that's the brand. It's like, no, it's financial transactions and welcome to that world, right? It's like totally different. Yeah, it's, um, it's true. And I think, um, you know, anyone can acquire customers. Maybe today it's a little bit harder to acquire customers, but <laughs> anyone theoretically can acquire a yeah. customer. You can spend money to get people to shop um, and to convince people to shop. But like, do people come back? And, you know, I think that the people come back because they love the brand the people come back because they love the product. And so, um, and, and people coming back, like to me, there's no better sign of a healthy business than a repeat rate. So yeah. um, that's, that's where we, um, that's just will always be um, our point of view. And, and we will ne- like, we will just not, we don't cut corners. Like we don't, we won't do anything to risk that relationship. And like you said, we all make mistakes. There will never be mistakes, but um, I think that's also like how you own those mistakes and how you connect with the customer to, you know, fix those mistakes. Um, that's also a big part of it too. And as as part of your uh, brand story, it's all about how to make a house a home. So, you know, coincidentally, right? Two years ago, you you I think it was two years ago you published your your first book by that same name, "How to Make a, a House a Home." What crazy timing uh, was that back then? Too? I mean, it, I, I mean, it's so weird, right? Because, I mean, everyone started suddenly thinking about the interior design of their homes, which before they, they, they haven't as much. Um, that must have felt really strange because, I mean, it was a horrible moment in time for yeah. everyone. But, but yet it, it, it must have worked out quite well for your book. I yeah, well, <laughs> yes and no. I mean, it works well. It works better for the brand than for the book. I mean, I think for, you know, the our brand um, really experienced um, strong momentum because all of a sudden everyone was at home, you know, there yeah. was there was no place to be. And everyone all of a sudden looked around and was like, well, if we're going to be here for a long time, I guess we should make this as comfortable as possible. Yep. Um, and there were no stores to go to. So people that had normally bought online or bought in store were all of a sudden forced to buy online. And um, we were ready for that kind of um, 
volume and demand. And um, we were able to really be an important part of our customers' um, lives at that moment, you know, where, when home was everything and, and was really working on overdrive and all of our rooms were, you know, multi-purpose and multi-function. And we really just had to to make them work for us. And so, um, and it was a great time for the book in the sense that the the content of the book couldn't have been more relevant. I yeah. mean, the book is is not like a traditional interior design book. It's about purposeful living. It's about how to live intentionally within your space. It's how to, about how to make your space work for you and, and how to have that relationship with your space and how to think about the function and the purpose of each room from a design perspective so that um, it works for you. And so it, it was very content. Um, it was very relevant content. Um, it was a weird time to have a book launch. Um, yeah, how was that? I mean, you obviously uh, you didn't you didn't uh, fly around to every Barnes and yeah, Nobles in I mean, the US. You know, but... it was, <laughs> the, real, the real answer is that it was pretty disappointing. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, it just you know that there was we had lots of events planned and media and all these things and all of that you know didn't happen, which was fine. Obviously, oh, yeah. you know, there was so it was you know it, I mean it was a lot of work and a lot of excitement leading up to it, but. Um, you know, all good in the grand scheme of things. And we were able to pivot and do, you know, digital events. And, um, you know, that was kind of the time where everyone was doing Instagram lives. And so did a number of those and was able to, you know, I was able to do plenty and it was the right, you know, obvious, you know, safe thing to do. But it was, um, you know, after spending almost two years writing a book, having a party would have been fun too. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. But I mean, on the on, on the flip side, I'm sure that that idea of um, of people being in being in horrible situations, um, you know, some more so than others, but the idea that you're stuck in four walls um, and you coming along saying, "Hey, I can give you tips." I mean, it's it's an it, even that yeah, is amazing, right? Because you can just give, you can give a lot of the content that you just wrote um, to to people, right? And, and kind of like empower them to feel a little bit yeah. of positivity in really dark times. Totally. And I have this whole chapter in the book that's really focused around how to use what you already have, you know? And so um, that was, you know, there was, there was a lot great. of great um, information there that, you know, people could use and I think was very helpful, which was exciting. Um, you know, to see it, to see it play out and, you know, to see people um, share just how, you know, the book had, had helped them in, in their homes when they were feeling, yeah. feeling stuck and, and feeling, you know, a little bit, um, you know, just all kinds of, of feelings. Exactly. Lots of big ones. Um, yeah. Where, and I have to ask this, it's, it's so on the nose, but where in your home did you spend most of your time writing or editing? And how important was that area of your home to, to, to you just kind of like getting into the zone or, 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 or getting into that flow? So I, um, I lived in Venice for many years and I lived in like a 650 square foot little bungalow. So, yep. um, the house was, um, I, I, and this was part of what inspired the book. Um, you know, my dining room was also, my office was also, you know, this and that, and was the host, you know, like all of the things I, yeah. I, I was living in a small space that required a lot of, um, versatility in order to make it work. Um, but, um, you know, I, I wrote the book, um, in 2018, um, and 2019. And, and during that time, um, I was pregnant, I had a baby. And so I was kind of writing 
whenever I could. <laughs> in bed, uh, like next to yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, after, I mean, this was also, you know, in the, the time where we were in the office every day. So a lot of my writing was happening after work or there would be days, you know, before deadline where I'd have to just block an entire day to, yeah. to get, you know, um, to get things done. But yeah, I was, I was, I was all over. I was on the couch. I was in the bedroom. I was in bed. It's, it's not the romantic answer I was looking for. Well, I, no, so I, I sat in front of my fireplace, you know, <laughs> yeah, I would. yeah, I was in the, I was in the office, in the library. <laughs> Oh my god. So um what what's what's next for what's next for the brand? What what are you excited about in the next 6 months? It seems like you you're constantly pushing forwards, but what is something that you can already share with us that you're really excited about? Yeah, well we so we've got a, a few more stores opening um in the next few months that I I can't wait. Um for some are in markets where we've been trying to open stores for a long time like Boston and so it'll be really exciting to see those stores open finally um after many many years. Um and then, you know, we've got really beautiful new products that are coming. Um, you know, the holidays are always a really big time at Parachute and so we love seeing um, you know, people get cozy and comfy for for the holiday season and gift those products to their loved ones. Um, but yeah, next year we've got more stores, we've got new categories and products. Um, we're just going to keep doing more of what we do. Um, and, and yeah, so awesome. there will be plenty of newness and, and plenty of exciting things. Um, but really, you know, I, I think we're, we're just, we're focusing on, on who we are and, um, yeah, I mean, it's been a, it's been a wild and kind of strange few years. So yep. <laughs> no, who knows what'll happen next year, to be honest. <laughs> right, right, exactly. But it, but, but I mean, this is the, this is the season, like you said, right? It's a, you know, Thanksgiving around the corner, Christmas, all of that is like it's, it's a huge time for you, for you yeah, guys. It's a so hosting, a lot of gifting, a lot of um, time at home. So. Yeah. Um, you know, we saw lots of people traveling this year, which, you know, it's very exciting to be back in the world. And, um, you know, people are, are usually home for the holidays in some way. So, um, yeah, it's a big time of year for us. Or or to quote out of your book, they have to make wherever they go their home, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you take your home with you to make your your vacation or travels more comfortable exactly how can how can people follow you uh personally on social or how can they get to know parachute yeah sure so um i am my full name r-e-l-k on social media and i would love to um connect with people there um i share some personal life and work life um and then parachute home is is where you can find us on all social channels and we are very active and um, love connecting with customers, love hearing feedback, love hearing requests. Um, you know, we, we are always excited to chat and to learn more about our customers or potential customers. So please be in touch. Well, I just realized as you as you answered the last couple of questions, what an amazing honor it was to have you on the week before Thanksgiving because things must be so crazy in the office right now <laughs> for you guys. So thank you, thank you so much for carving out almost forty five minutes here uh, to 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 be on the show. Um, lots of great insights. Really, really appreciate your time. Yeah, my pleasure. It was so nice to chat. The power of branding and storytelling in the hand of parachutes. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I have the conversation. And if so, please subscribe, rate, and share the show. 
Hitting the Mark is produced by my consultancy, Finian, where we create clarity for brand transformations. This episode was edited by Everett Barton and the Hitting the Mark theme music was written and produced by Happiness One. I will see you next time when we once again will be hitting the mark.